If you're like me, you want to get your business ahead, but there are certain skills you need, but you just don't have. If this sounds like you, then you need to head over to Fiverr. They have a whole array of professionals that can help you in different areas, from design to writing, marketing, and more. They have you covered. I seriously can't tell you how much Fiverr.com has helped me along with this podcast. Um, I've used them so much for this podcast. It's been unreal. They make my flyers. They go ahead and um, I hired this guy to help me upload the each episode and in the beginning in order for me to be all over the place it was I was totally going to Fiverr it was I seriously just it's I've gotten so much for my business through them so please use my link which you can find in the description of this episode or you can go to MarcellaAlonzo.com and book there through Fiverr today you'll be glad you did Hello, and welcome to Sunday Funday with Marcella Alonso. Today, my guest is Gina Brion. Woo! Thank you so much for coming on today. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Oh, it's an honor to interview you because I told you earlier, I was like, so I wanted you so badly. I was ready to take your class. <laughs> You're like, I'll take your comedy class if it means you'll come on my I podcast. Like, yeah. Or you could just ask. Yeah. So <laughs> you could just ask. we were talking earlier because I interviewed uh, Sarah Conteras and she was a big inspiration for this podcast yes. for a lot of things. And you... People were saying that you reminded her. Tell, yes. tell us the story you were telling. When I started, and Sarah's never heard this story, so I uh -huh. think, um, you know, when she listens, hopefully she'll get to listen to it and hear yeah. the story. I'll um, make her. Everybody was like, um, oh, you remind us of Sarah Contreras. And I was like, I hadn't met her yet. I was very new to the scene. But everybody was Sarah Contreras, Sarah Contreras. And I was so nervous to meet her. And I remember the first time I met her, it was like I was meeting a celebrity. And I was so like, I was just so intimidated and so like, like fangirling because I had heard so many great things about her. And, and I was meeting somebody who was like revered for their talent and just for their kindness too. like everybody loved her. And I fell in love with her, too. Like I was like, she's just the most amazing human being. And she's so powerful on stage and she's such a powerful woman. And like I've always looked at her as somebody who is like a real pillar of strength. And I know everybody has their their rough times and I'm sure she's had some, you know, things that she's had to overcome and she's done it like a boss because, man, you never see her sweat. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. She really is. Yeah. She blows my mind, man. Wow. So tell me, how long have you been doing comedy now? Too long. <laughs> so long. Um, uh, 20 some odd years at this point. So you started when you were a teenager. Yeah, I started when I was when I was about 17. I started writing comedy and like performing it for my friends. And then by 18, I had hit the stage for the first time. I fell in love with comedy at 14. Mm -hmm. So it was always like as a kid, I just love making people laugh. And then when I discovered comedy, that was it. It was over. You knew what she wanted. Yeah, to I was do. like, I want to do that for the rest of my life. There was never any question in my mind. I was like, that's what I want to wow. do. When you were 14, who did you admire? Um, Brett Butler was the first comic that I saw. Mm -hmm. um, some people might remember her from Grace Under Fire or yeah. some from her stand-up. She was a tall, blonde, southern woman. But um, my parents used to listen to a lot of um, Spanish comics like a lot of uh spanish-speaking comedians mm -hmm. so i wouldn't know their names because it was like an older style of comedy yeah. that they would listen to but um i was a fan of george burns 
at 14. Really? (laughs) And then through Brett Butler, I discovered George Carlin, which then became my absolute favorite comic in the world was George Carlin. I got to see him in the year 2000 the, mm. the first so i remember the exact date because remember we were everybody was uh what was it called the y2k was going on yes and i bought the tickets and that was the first time i ever saw a comedian in person and really? i remember and, and i knew his Carlin. and uh, yeah i'm and, so jealous right now i never uh, got to see him perform so live. i got to see him perform and i remember like his whole act and everything and i um so that was nice but then i but then i realized um later on like not all comics you you can you watch like a full hours and I yeah. and I personally you know as I got older I moved to LA for about ten years from uh, two thousand nine to two thousand nineteen I started like loved going to the comedy store um, because I enjoy more of doing watching people do 15 minute sets that was sometimes more- it's a little bit easier like to really I love I'm such a comedy nerd like there's mo I will sit through most specials um, there are some that if I see too many bad habits mm-hmm. it gets hard to watch like if i'm like oh i can't watch this person because i know that they know if they're honest with themselves that you know this probably wasn't the greatest moment in their special or yeah. like this probably wasn't the best choice of material you know i don't fault anybody because i realize how hard this job is so i don't like to be too harsh of a critic of things yeah. especially since you never know what somebody's going through or what led up to that special or anything like right. that so I like to keep that in mind, but also as a comedy lover, there's just things that I catch that I go, I can't, it's getting on, it's like little pet peeves. Oh yeah, like, ah, I, I don't you do and that. I must be the same because I catch myself doing that. I'll have pet, and recently yeah. with me going to um, comedies, like, like I'll go, the stand is where I, I my favorite place only because I like the food over the comedy cellar. Um, well, I mean, the yeah. cellar wings, you can never beat the cellar wings. Oh, I, like, I, I think it was one dish i didn't like and i think Ooh, that's child what... the wings at the cellar really do yourself a favor uh-huh get the wings get an order of blue cheese get two orders of blue cheese get two orders of wing sauce uh-huh and then just i'm telling you the combination of that wing sauce and blue cheese is a magical combination oh i'm, I'm gonna have to do that now yes yeah. and their lamb stew is incredible too Oh, the lamb stew. Yeah. I'm telling you, they have some good food there. I'm a foodie. So, like, I can tell you, like, and the stand has a great menu, too. The grilled octopus is one of my favorite things on the stand's menu. Mm -hmm. And the Brussels sprouts. For some reason, the pizza at the stand um, with the mushrooms is, the to me, the best pizza in New York. I don't know why. I think they worked very hard on their pizza, from what I understand. Like, there was, like, it was, like, a goal of theirs to have really good pizza. They didn't just want, yeah, you know, that's when my you favorite order pizza. pizza yeah. all in New York for when some reason. When you order, like, a regular pizza at a comedy club, it's usually kind of subpar. Yeah. But I remember um, talking with one of the owners before, and they were, literally, they were trying out so many different pizza recipes just to see which kind of combination worked the best. Oh, so okay. I think no, really that's why they thing. got me addicted then. Yes. Okay. On purpose. It's on oh, purpose. Oh God, I need to get over that. Yeah, because I'm because I've noticed the same yeah. comedians at the stand, and I'm like, who's new? Yeah. Yeah. So okay, you want to go and kind of experience different thing, but I mean, it's always smart to have good food at a comedy club because everybody else is gonna have your basic like chicken fingers, mozzarella sticks, and yeah, yeah, you can yeah, get yeah, that, that kind of anywhere. Yeah. But good, good food. I know I always appreciate it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. It's such like a always comelona. I'm such a freaking. <laughs> All I want to do is I'm like, what, what can we talk about? But all Latinas, we like to eat like... like uh, We get good fresh food too. Yeah. Like that's the thing. When you grow up with like 
when you, I remember I was so with the guy for seven years and he's he was he's Mexican mm-hmm. and I got like fresh cooked Mexican food like all the mm, time pozole so, oh. all kinds of like oh my goodness like the freshest of the fresh mole all of it and it was oh. his mom could throw down bro his mom could throw down mom mm-hmm. and my mom could throw down and she's and cooking all ba- the Puerto Rican your, food your your background your mother's Puerto Rican and then your father's my father's also Puerto Rican but okay. on my father's side there's some Italian okay. I used to think I was half and half like my whole life I was like I'm Puerto Rican and Italian mm-hmm. and then at one point my dad pulled me aside and was like yeah actually not really I'm like an eighth Italian <laughs> and I was like you let me tell everybody <laughs> that I was half and half for the longest time well, yeah, my dad. So my dad is a light skinned one. My dad is mm. light skinned. That's where I get my um, semi fair skin because I'm beige, according to a lot of people. Yeah. And my mom is olive skin. So my mom uh-huh. is olive skin. I always wanted my mom's skin tone. I thought she. Had yeah, the most my dad skin. is more olive, so I tan way better. But my mom is more pale. But she's the Puerto Rican one. My father's Cuban. Oh, okay. so it's like kind of up. So I grew up with uh, two different styles of you know two different like they were similar but not similar yeah yeah you, there's, you still, there's some saying? differences there and that's i think in a lot of latinidad i think we have a lot of similarities within the cultures yeah and that's why sometimes people don't know the differences between the cultures because they lump all the similarities oh, together yeah. and they go oh you're this all the same right you guys you know empanadas or pastelillos and they're the same thing and it's like they're really not though they yeah 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 but they're not, though. Yeah, because Puerto Ricans, it's more gandulas and the yellow rice and Cubans, more black beans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's there's subtle differences and then there's some major differences in language and how we use language. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I had a quick education when I lived in... Uh, Los Angeles with all the Latino. Yes. Yeah, that was it was it was I had a wonderful 10 years living there, but I quickly learned, you know, a lot of like Mexican culture. I got to enjoy some great my bet. My good friends were all Mexican and I got to enjoy the best. My accent when I speak Spanish is a Mexican accent. Wow. and It annoys every Puerto Rican <laughs> I've ever met in my life. They get annoyed by it. And I'm like, hey, man, I tried. I tried with my relatives and right. they all made fun of me and it kept me from speaking Spanish for the longest time. Yeah. And then when I was, you know, like I, when I was with my ex, all I did was, you know, speak Spanish because his mom didn't like speaking English very much. Right. And so I got used to the accent, the terminology, and that was seven years. So and I was in a church where we sang in Spanish and, you know, most of the preachers were Mexican as well. Mm-hmm. And so like. It was a very specific style of speech that I heard for the longest time. And mm. I kind of just naturally flowed with it because it was like I was for the first time being more accepted for the fact that, oh, I didn't grow up speaking just Spanish. I'm third generation. Mm. So for the most part, I grew up speaking English mm-hmm. and had to learn Spanish later on in years, which is it's like we're penalized for that. Yes. Yes, we are. And it makes you kind of it makes you have an aversion to even wanting to speak Spanish. Right. For a in, long time in I had In kindergarten, that. I was corrected by the teacher. They said, do not call your grandparents abuelo and abuela. You say grandma, grandpa. 
I was corrected by the kindergarten teacher. Oh man. And that's and so it did, growing up I was kind of scared. You As know? a mom, I would I would have fist fought that teacher. Yeah. I'm not even gonna lie. I, 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 I would have got so mad at that <laughs> if somebody would have said that I, to my son. At the son. time I was scared and I didn't Of course you're a kid. I didn't say anything to my family. Yeah. And um, Well, because that's the thing that I think we go through a lot too, is we're not allowed to question authority yes. in so many of our households. So then we grow up thinking we can't question any authority figure. So even if we feel like we're being treated unfairly, mm -hmm. we sit there and we take it because we have to respect our elders. And it's like, mm, you know, I'm teaching my son to question everything. And that means he's going to question me too. Mm -hmm. So I have to be ready for those questions and I have to be ready for the challenge of the things that he may, you know, question or challenge me on. Yeah. And I think a lot of parents think would look at that and be like, that's disrespectful. No, when he gets older, I don't want him to be afraid to question anything. And I'm not perfect. I can admit that. Mm -hmm. So if he has questions that he needs to ask me, I want him to feel comfortable enough to question even my authority. Because mm -hmm. I may not be making the right choices. I may be frustrated in the moment. Or I may need to explain to him, mommy got frustrated because she was trying to protect you because you're about to jump off the coffee table and, <laughs> and off yourself right in front of her. And I need you not to play like that because it's dangerous. We don't want to do the long explanation. Yeah. And that's that comes a lot from what we learned as children is I don't want to do the long explanation. It's like, well, the long explanation creates a more cognitive individual for you to deal with. Now you're not just punishing a child for doing child things. Mm -hmm. You're explaining them to them the safety and how to navigate around a world that's, you know, everything's bigger than them. Yeah. Everything is and bigger than And now in this time of day and age, you do have to teach them that way to be prepared. Exactly. To be yeah. prepared and to defend themselves and to just to know. like how, how old is your son now? He's three years old. Oh, okay. So he's throughout for some reason. I thought you your, your kids were... Oh, because three years ago you won the uh, America's... Oh, I was on America's Got Talent and uh -huh. he was about a year. He was about a year or maybe like a year and a half, I think, during that time. I got to remember what year I was on, but I think I was on it two years ago. Because he was, he was old enough to be walking around at oh, that okay. point. Mm. Um, because he would walk around the set and like... <laughs> We have some pictures of him like sitting at the Aww. judges' tables and stuff like that. Like the crew would let me come sometimes, let him like come to the set and have him walk around a little bit. So that was cool. Uh, how are you able to balance every? Because I remember my kids now are adults. Mm -hmm. I had one of them very young, so that's why you know what I mean. Uh, I have two adult children. Yeah, I started real early. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of glad because now it's done and out. How are you balancing um, having a He's a toddler, preschooler. Yeah. And working and being so successful now as a comic. Um, I mean, it's it's never easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, Shonda Rhimes did a, a great speech where she talks about being a working mom and the things you have to sacrifice being a working mom. Something's falling short. Something that there there's never a perfect balance, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I would love to lie to people and be like, oh, it's perfectly balanced. It's fine. I'm I'm no, a miracle worker kids. and it's amazing. Yeah. No, there's times when I have to be at work and I can't be at home with my son. I can't be present with my son. I can't, mm -hmm. you know, deal with the issues. I can't, you know, be there sitting there playing with him or having those moments. So that gets sacrificed. And then there's times where I'm with my son and I can't be on my phone and I can't be checking emails and I can't mm -hmm. be pushing myself. So then that's when that gets sacrificed. And you just kind of accept you choose what you're willing to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time it's, you know. 
it's me doing my best to give as much time and attention to my son in those moments. Like when I'm home, like mm -hmm. I've been home now for a couple of weeks. I just actually did a one night gig and then came back. All I all I want to do is hang around him. All I want to do is mm -hmm. watch him grow and develop and be focused on him. And I still have work to do when I'm here. Yeah. Still gonna go out to the clubs and but it's hard every time to kind of leave him and you try not to beat yourself up as a mom because you also realize that my son needs his own autonomy. I can't be glued to him all the time regardless. Right. These are his developmental years, so it's important for me to be present with him. But if he has too much of a dependency on me, yeah. then we run into, like, I can't leave the house because he's clinging to me and yeah, crying. Yeah, attachment issues. And it's like, I don't want him to have those issues. I don't. And that there's no predicting he could still have them, but I can do my best to do the obviously preventable things right. and be as present as possible. Yeah. I find it, I'm fascinated by motherhood, man, and I'm approaching it very <laughs> differently than I was, you know, than I'm parenting differently than I was parented in that mm -hmm. sense, um, which is not a knock to my parents. Yeah. I, you know, I talk about this on stage where I say, you know, um, I think we're all at this point aware that we were raised by unhealed people. No, that's so true. We were raised by unhealed yeah. people. Whether my they chose had a lot of toxic. Yes. Yeah. Whether they didn't know any better. Yeah. Or they chose not to know any better. Mm -hmm. Um, our parents were most likely, and for the most of us, especially for my generation, for the older generations, stuck in survival mode. Yeah. Our parents were stuck. My parents aren't even boomers. My parents are greatest generation, bro. Like yeah. they're they were trying to survive. And so when you kind of change a perspective, and that's not to excuse any toxic behavior, right? but I think what it did for me personally was pull me out of a judgmental place from parenting and being like, oh, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, and oh, because of this, I'm like this. I went, okay, I understand I have a trauma map that I'm still connecting the dots of. Yeah. And to avoid passing down that generational trauma to my son. Right. I have to switch up right. the things that I know for me as a child were not helpful. Yeah. You know, and it's this little, it's little, little things, little things, letting him say no, letting him say no teaching to Teaching him boundaries now at a teaching young age. Teaching him boundaries, teaching him consent, teaching him if he doesn't want to be kissed or hugged. Yeah. Because in be our generation, we were... If we were forced. Yeah, we were forced. To hug every tia, to hug every tio, mm -hmm. to give kisses to everybody. Why that didn't you say? It's yeah. rude not to. Yeah. And here's the thing. What people don't realize, and I, I understand why people do that, you know? Yeah. It's really a social norm mm -hmm. that people are afraid of, like, breaking. You know, that social norm of, oh, be friendly and say hi. And you don't want to look like a rude person. It trains us to be people pleasers. Yeah. It trains us that it's more important how we appear in the room than how we actually feel. Right. So I'm very big on if my son does not want to be touched, he does not get touched. Like if he doesn't want to hug you, he don't got to hug you. If he doesn't want to kiss you, he don't got to kiss you. If he doesn't want you to kiss him, don't kiss him. If he doesn't want you to hug him. Do not hug him. He has a right to his body. Teaching a child respect and consent for their own body, I think, makes it easier for them to understand it in other people. Yeah. That's good. We have to change the narrative as they get. Yeah. Yeah. And really, I mean, I just had a talk with my son today because he has a habit of if he doesn't want to sing, he doesn't want you to sing either. Mm. And I told him, you don't get to govern someone else's body. You can you can govern your own body. 
That's fine. If you don't want to sing, you don't have to sing. But if mommy would like to sing, mommy can sing. You don't get to tell mommy what she can do with her body, just like she doesn't get to tell you what you can do with your body. Good teaching him. Yeah. And getting in those lessons. And, you know, he cried a little bit because he felt frustrated at the fact that he didn't want anybody singing. Mm-hmm. But I had to let him know, like, you can only control your portion of something. Yeah. If you don't want to be around singing people, you have every right to leave the room, go into the bedroom, go into another room. That's fine. But you don't get to tell somebody, stop dancing, stop singing. Yeah. It's it's just teaching them what they can and cannot control. Now, since you've had your son, have you been able to tour? Like, um, Have you not toured as much? Or how is your touring different now? The touring is still about the same. It's just mm-hmm. sometimes I get the luxury of bringing him with me. Oh, and okay. sometimes I don't. Okay. Uh, and those times are always harder because I have to spend time away from my son. And, you know, I was in Israel for like 10 days doing comedy. And that was the hardest one because it was the first time I was leaving for more than like a weekend. Uh And that was really tough. And anytime I have to leave, it's it's hard. Like I cry every time I have to leave for an extended period of time. Uh I miss him. Um, I limit my phone calls only because it upsets him. To see my face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he then he starts to question why I'm not there. My daughter did that till she was probably 14 years old. Like, Yeah. It yeah. takes a minute because, yeah. and it is a psychological thing. And you're like, I get it. You feel abandoned. You feel like, where am I? Like, I'm mm. your security blanket to a certain extent because I am your protector, provider. It's my job as your parent. Yeah. So I understand the upset. And I don't fault him for it. And I don't say, oh, there's no reason to cry. I go, I understand. You're upset. Mommy's not there. You don't have to talk to her. Yeah, You don't have to talk to me. You don't have to be on the phone Mm -hmm. with me. I'll just watch you play. It's fine. Go play. Because I understand there's an emotional upset there that he needs to learn how to emotionally regulate for himself. And then when he's ready, he'll come up to the phone and he'll start talking to me or he'll blow me a kiss or something. But he needs that time to adjust. Right. And it's the hardest thing because it breaks your heart sometimes when your kid is like, I don't oh, no, want to hug I, you. I, I don't want to touch <laughs> you. And you're like, damn, what's wrong with me? Like, why yeah. you don't love me, bro? And it's like, it's not about that. It's about like anybody else. We're just not used to giving kids that autonomy. We're not used to giving them the right to their own bodies, mm-hmm. which I think puts a lot of people in a not so healthy space. Yeah. I was a single parent for many years. So what you going through, I went through. But I would have to always be dependent on a babysitter, even though I didn't want to be. The babysitting game is tough. man. Yeah. Like, even though I didn't want to. And I'd have women go, oh, I can never send my. Well, I had no choice. What are you going to do? If you're working at all, if you're doing anything at all. And here's the thing. A mom said this once in a video and I never forgot it. Mm -hmm. She was talking in reference to her little girl. And she was saying, you know, that she had not realized something that she was doing. Um, She wasn't allowing herself to be. An individual. She wasn't allowing herself to be just a woman who happens to be a mother. She was denying herself the things that she needed self-care wise. She was denying herself the space she needed by just being a helicopter mom and being all over her kid and being, you know, on top of her daughter like that. And she realized I'm setting a bad example because I'm literally people pleasing my child. And then when she grows up, I'm going to have to tell her not to do this to other people Mm -hmm. when I'm the one that she learned it from. She has to see 
me being independent. And when she said that, I realized my son also needs to see me being independent. independent. My son needs to see me doing my own thing. My son needs to see me sitting at a computer and doing work. Like I get up usually around during the week, around 530 or six in the morning, sometimes earlier Uh so that I can get a workout in, do my, you know, do my work. And then when my son wakes up at seven or eight, Coffee's already made for me and my husband. I'm I'm up and ready and in a good mood. I've taken care of my things first. Right. So I did my things. And now I have time and availability to be there for him. Mm-hmm. But there's also times when I've been on meetings and my son is sitting not too far away from me, <laughs> playing on his little tablet or watching. Um, I have him watch some educational videos like he's big into flags and countries mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I'll be like, yeah, mommy's just going to be in a meeting. And just letting him see, like, I do yeah, other see, things it's besides true. They do need to you. see yeah, your, your parents work because it, it does, it will bring, because this is what we need to do in society. We need to get up and work. Nobody's going to, you know, you need to behave a yeah. certain time. They need to see certain things. I remember I was working on a project and the woman doing my hair was telling me that she said her parents never fought in front of her. And she said they did me a disservice. Because Mm. when I got older, I did not know how to handle conflict because they pretended conflict didn't exist between them. Oh, that is So I did not get to see how you work out problems or how you you deal with conflict. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, what an interesting... What an interesting thing to learn because you think you're protecting your kids from not showing them like, and there's obviously certain things you shouldn't be shouting or yeah. never put your hands a little on each disa- other. Yeah, like, a little disagreement in front would be, it is kind of healthy because it shows the normalcy versus having like, you know, no course, no violence or yes. TV. Yeah. They should see a little, you know, a little bit of both. Like yeah. one thing that was big for, for my husband was because he never saw it growing up was him showing me affection. And he was like, I I want Jaden to see. Right. Is he American? Yes. Okay, that's what I was gonna say, like a Spanish. You know, Cause they- I was like, I was like, what you mean you didn't see affection? Like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, my parents weren't very affectionate with each other like growing up, so I didn't see that. He was like, I don't want Jaden to think that we don't even like each other because mm. we're not holding hands or like, I want him to see what it's like to, to love and to right. be loved. And it was something that I was like, okay, I'm very conscious of that too now because uh, that's another thing. Like when you both get on the same page parenting wise, yeah, I feel like it does pull you closer together as a couple because it's like you're both trying to figure out this puzzle. There's yeah. no easy part of parenting. There's literally yeah. there's oh no, no, that's it's the hardest. I'm kind of relieved that both of my kids are adults now because yeah. now I could really I've been really able to take care of myself the way I couldn't before. And then I'm well, glad that's the thing too. I'm learning to do it now yeah. so that he sees it because I also think what I grew up with and what most of us grew up with were parents, but specifically mothers who felt like they didn't have the time or the luxury for self care. Cause yeah. when we think about self care, we think in extremes. Oh, what am I supposed to do? Go to a spa, get my hair done every day, get my nails done all the time. No, but for me, Self-care is also getting to sit down comfortably, read my book unbothered, even if I'm just sitting on my balcony Yeah, for 10, 15 minutes unbothered. Yeah. That's it. They do. Or doing a face mask at home or taking yeah. a 20-minute shower because I just want that time. Yeah. Like, it's stuff like that that I'm learning to do so that my son looks at it like, oh, mommy's taking care of herself. 
oh, I need to take care of myself. And yeah. I'm big on him taking care of himself yeah. and talking to him about self-care. Because I think that is something that moms do is that we, Woman will, do. Yeah, yeah, we will break our backs yeah, and give ourselves no break, give ourselves oh, no yeah, grace. We, I, when I was with both of my kids, like my oldest all, went all throughout Catholic school and I was determined <clears throat> she gets like I was never got my first um, communion. I didn't my mother didn't they didn't take us or anything. And so I was so determined for her. And I tell my cousins now I go. You know, I did that so she can become a godmother. Don't you want her to come? But yes. I want. I was so adamant about her getting, you know, with um, being Catholic and going through everything because I didn't. And and she goes, "Why'd you do that, Mom?" Like, well, because we do what we know, right? You we know do what, what I mean? we like, or what we want. We want better for the next generation. Even though I grew up in the church, and you know, my beliefs have somewhat changed or modified since then. Uh -huh. um, I realized. Most parents are doing it out of protection, too. Yeah. You know, we believe in spiritual protection. We also believe in, like, being a good person. And sometimes we fully believe that growing up in the church is the only way to be a good yeah. person. Um, I don't adhere to that anymore, but I understand why people yeah. would do that. And I understand why it can be beneficial to have some sort of spirituality i'll say or openness mm -hmm. i don't think you should be closed off to anything but, but i think anybody successful open, has yes. some sort of spiritual background well yeah. because i think you leave yourself when you leave yourself with that level of openness it also leaves you with the ability to understand the human condition yeah. and it helps you to understand people and then you don't get so upset at people and you don't when people throw their trauma at you and when people project and throw things at you mm -hmm. you don't take it so personally because you realize that we're all coming from a place of some kind of trauma. We're all coming from a place of some kind of need. Mm -hmm. And when you start to see humanity like that, um, you can be faced with sometimes some of the most nasty people. Oh, yeah. And you can just be like, mm, I, I see what's going on here. And you're throwing a lot of your trauma on me. We're all little kids. Yeah. And most of us from so many generations have not worked out our trauma or done any kind of work on ourselves because we're either too scared to because you really got to delve into it. Yeah. Or we think that it's pointless. For some reason, we've I noticed given with ourselves. men, they think it's pointless. They think it's pointless. Oh, yeah. Men are the worst ones when it comes to therapy. Yeah. Well, that's also because it's not really it's not a narrative that men need to do right like we've kept men from doing stuff like that because the narrative that's sold to them and if you want to get the bigger idea out there the narrative that's sold to them under the patriarchy is you don't have any feelings real men don't cry yeah. you don't get to do this you don't get to do that so they teach you that it's a weakness but emotional intelligence has actually been proven to make people more able, more cognitive in tough situations and able to handle stress better and even made them problem solve better. So emotional intelligence has many cognitive benefits that we don't get to learn, but that especially men don't get to learn yeah. because the narrative is that men are not the emotional ones. Mm -hmm. So that when, to the point where that when men are emotional, they've been teased for it. Yeah. They've been ridiculed for it. And so there's part of me that's like, yeah, this affects all of us. This, you know, kind of messed up psychology that we've lived under for the longest time. And and it doesn't help us that we don't address it. 
That's yeah, that's true. That's true. That we many to, of the generations just don't address it and, and we shrug need to, it off. We need to just encourage, especially our men that, you know, don't feel bad, go get home. And some of the women too yeah. who feed that narrative. Oh yeah. Where yeah. it's like stop feeding the narrative and then you get mad at it. But you're feeding the narrative. Yeah. With what you're telling little boys, with what you're telling your partners, with the way that your interactions are. Like I had to uh learn to talk about, accept and unpack a lot of my internalized toxic masculinity, a lot of my internalized stuff that for years I spent, you know, basically giving into the system and following the system. Mm -hmm. And then when you start to break out of it and you start to call yourself out on things and you start to do all the work and, you know, the biggest, scariest thought to Latinos is therapy and going to therapy <laughs> and unpacking all of that. Yeah. You, you start to understand it again in other people. Anything you learn about yourself just makes it so much easier to be empathetic towards yeah. other people. Oh, which you posted something on IG that had me almost very empathetic. You posted, oh. I have to bring this up. There was a woman comic and she was a mother. Uh -huh. And she, you posted this last night because I was just going through IG and she was saying how she wanted to travel. Yeah. And I, I kind of wanted to go in her DMs and be like, you could stay here. Like, like I kind of wanted to do that. And yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, what am I? But I, I felt so much empathy because even though my children are grown, I've been there where yeah. you're stopping. And she was saying, you know, I'd like to travel, but right now I'm a mom. I'm just on TikTok. Her name is Mama Chaos. Yes, That's yes. That's talking about Mama Chaos. That's yeah. my girl. And I, I saw that and I had, because um, lately, I don't know if it's I'm getting older or whatever. Like there was a dog video too that I got kind of, a, that I reposted, but uh I felt so much empathy for this woman because here she is. She wanted to perform. She wants to perform. And it's people don't realize how difficult it is. Yeah. Even for somebody in her case who she, you know, she has a lot of followers. And yeah. people always equate a lot of followers with a lot of money. Oh, I know that. I and it's have, like, no, it's I've not. been quoted to do a podcast, $500 an episode from Zoom. And I told the guy, no, like, yeah. he's like, yeah, but you know, and I, I've had people say, like, try ripping me off or, you know, stuff because they think followers equals money. It doesn't. It doesn't. Mm -mm. It equals support, which yeah. is great. Right. But. Every one of those followers is not paying your bills. Right. Every one of those followers is not buying your merch. Yeah. Every one of those followers are not buying tickets. Right. And this is the battle as somebody who, you know, who like she's in a position where she has a lot of followers, but getting those followers, getting anything monetized. Right. And getting is, support. Yeah. Because if she was to go to somewhere like New York, okay, the hotels are how much are, you know, like a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. You'd have to first start off but with- She's even talking about just traveling within her hometown, Jeez. which I think is like- And getting a babysitter nowadays. Getting a sitter, getting the money to travel. People don't add these things up. Yeah. You know, that's why people don't really understand the expenses that you deal with as like an artist, as somebody yeah. who's, especially a comic, man. Excuse me, I'm burping coffee into the <laughs> microphone. Um, where most of us are paying our own way. Yeah. We're paying our own hotel. And- even though we might get reimbursed, what I found is like a lot of times what they're reimbursing you for is not what you actually ended up spending. Mm -hmm. And you're you're getting reimbursed for the bare minimum or you're getting reimbursed just and it just barely covers your cost. And so for a lot of people that don't realize how the money works in the system, like they would see something like that, like her putting up a video and they would be harshly judgmental of the fact that she's doing that. I immediately had empathy for her and going, I wish more people were honest like this about what it's actually like even in the world of influencers yeah to 
because they have so much clout in the industry now. So you could really understand the struggle that a lot of influencers go through, which right. is like, no, I'm still I'm still paycheck to paycheck right now. Right. Even though my views may be in the millions. And like I feel for her a lot because as a mom, I can't even imagine having to juggle all of that. I have the luxury of living in a city where I have friends that will babysit where the cl a club is just a train stop away. Right. So for two seventy five, I could go to well two ninety now. Oh god, two ninety. <laughs> it's getting so expensive. Oh, and then now if you even jump, they're going to charge you. They have to be careful about that. Oh, good grief. Yeah. Um, oh, New York. Um, but we have the luxury in New York of being able to go from club to club. Yeah. As long as I can get into the city and get back home, I can go from club to club to club to club to club. Right. Right. If I have enough for a Metro card, I'm good. Right. Where she lives, she needs money for gas. She needs to drive. The nearest club is nowhere near where she lives. Where was she located at? Um, I can't remember where she's located. I have to ask her again. But okay. I know that where she has to go to get it's like it's like an hour or two. I wanted hours to away, reach out and be like, I got a room. Like mm. I really did. And I'm thinking cause uh, but I was like, would she think I'm crazy? I'm not a comic. Like <laughs> I think that it's just, and I think building a community yeah. is what's really important, even just for support, even just like I have a friend who was texting me, you know, he was like, how often do you think about like quitting? And I was like, every day, Wow. every day, that's how hard this is. Every day that I wake up, I go, I could have had a nine to five. I could have had financial stability. I could have made different choices in the past. I can't live in the could haves, mm -hmm. but, and that's what pulls me out of it and gives me the energy to kind of push through it. And, you know, a, a way to pull myself out of that is changing have to, to get to. Right. I don't, yes, I have to work very hard, but right. I get to work very hard at what I love doing. And that was something that a, a homegirl of mine had told me to do with difficult situations. Like I get to deal with this. Because sometimes the most difficult of situations, especially, and I'm, I'm talking in the world of career and work, personal situations are a different animal. Right, 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 right. But career and work and balance, um, we tend to have these moments of, oh, God, I have to get this work done. And it's like, no, I'm lucky enough to be working in a field that I love. So I get to do this. Yeah. I get to edit that video or I get to plan this, you know, gig that's how that I, I kind of look at things too, that I'm lucky because sometimes during the day it'll be two or 3 PM and I've got, I've already done everything for the day, but I'm like, I'm lucky that mm -hmm. I have this time. I better now, now I'm lucky that I can research my next guest. I'm yes. lucky. Yeah. You have and to I, like I I love supporting other performers. Mm -hmm. So when it came to Mama Chaos, when she put out that video, and uh, she had sent it to me, um, and I reposted it because I I think we need more support than anything else, and you know support the supportive people, right? Support the supportive people, not the energy vampires. Right. Don't support the people that take advantage. Um, don't oh, I've support learned the people about that. that abuse. Yeah. Like no, and disrespect, and then like. It's so funny when you call someone out for disrespect and they look at you and they're like, how was that? That wasn't even. <laughs> and it's like, you know what you just did was disrespectful. Right. You just didn't expect to be called out on it. And so when I say support, I mean, support those who also support. This should be reciprocal. It should be um, 
it should be this thing that there's the reciprocity between the two of you where it's like, I support her because I know she supports me and because we support other performers and other artists. Wow. And so having that community of people, when my buddy hit me up, he was asking because he was going through a situation where he's getting more recognized in mm -hmm. the street now. And, you know, he was like, I just don't know how to deal with it. And I gave him a couple of pointers that I've both learned from myself and learned from other people mm -hmm. that have hopefully helped. But even just having somebody to vent to, he was so happy to have somebody to vent to that could even kind of understand. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. Having yeah. that understanding for another human being where you could go, where you can really fully empathize with them and go, because it's different. Like having sympathy for somebody is great. But when you get to the point of empathy and compassion, now you've hit a deeper level of understanding. Right. Even if I can't relate to you, even if my understanding mm -hmm. is on a level of cognitive understanding, I realize that you're in a tough position. Maybe it's not a position I've ever been in or something I can relate to, mm -hmm. but I can realize that you're in a tough position. And for that, I will give you empathy human to human. Oh, I see why you're, you're such a good mentor for other <laughs> comedians. Now I really want to take your comedy class just because I want your energy around. Because um, you, know you are teaching at the Laughing Buddha. Right? I was, yeah. My class just ended. I did an all-women's uh, Will workshop. you do it again? Yes. I, I'll teach again. And I also do private lessons. So people hit me up for privates. Uh -huh. And um, those are always a little bit easier for me because I... I can always work with somebody's schedule. Right, they right, work right. with my schedule. When I have a class schedule, you know, I'm married to that bit of time. Right. Um, I enjoy teaching, but mainly because I think I have a very empathetic and realistic approach yeah. to teaching. And I, this particular workshop was really important to me because it was women. It was all women wow. and non-binary people and people identifying as women. Like I wanted it to be as inclusive as possible, but definitely wanted a lot of, of women in the class to walk them through what it's like at every stage in this industry, having been in it so long and what I feel like they need to know and how they need to protect themselves in an industry that isn't always, well, let's be honest. Male dominant. Isn't, yeah, it's male dominant. Right, right. Like, and, and you have to navigate a certain way in this industry as a woman to protect yourself. Do you feel like um, it's any different being Latina versus a Caucasian comic? Do you feel... It's weird because yes, mm -hmm. but for most for the most part, societally, I'm white passing. Yeah. So it's different for me versus an Afro Latina. Mm -hmm. Um, how you present. I think what happens to me and maybe other people, you know, that are in the same vein of like white passing Latinas is that we are the acceptable ones. So mm. we we end up being the for a very long time, I would be the token Latina on a show. Because in their eyes, I wasn't threatening or I wasn't so Latina right. like to them. Mm -hmm. And so I noticed it. I noticed it a lot where I was like, they filled their quota with me on the mm. lineup. And they felt comfortable almost letting me know that they filled that I filled a certain quota for them. Um, <sighs> the struggles are different depending on, I think, how you present in a lot of ways. Right. Um, but for women in general, because we're so scrutinized from everything to how we look, right. to how we act, to what we wear, mm -hmm. it is different for us. And I and feel then like, what we speak, because I've noticed course. what certain women have said certain things. It's like almost we can't even speak our minds sometimes. Or oh, yeah. then we're God ostracized. forbid we have an opinion yeah. that, you know, is different from status quo. Right. 
God forbid we fall out of line right. and don't do as we're told. Yeah. You know, but then we're also expected to be strong and independent. We can't be codependent. We can't like, I'm slipping into my America Ferrera Barbie speech now, like <laughs> where you can't, you know, there's so, there's so much that's put upon us. And that's why I think what frustrates me more than anything is when I hear women in the industry going, it's not hard for women. And I go, are you Oh, are I, you crazy? I see are it. Are you crazy? I see it all the time because I do see all these specials, all these men. And then because I have this podcast, I'm studying and it's a lot harder to get. But I also realize that a lot of women that have said that when I look back on the context of the conversation mm-hmm. and where they may have been at because we're born people pleasers. Mm. I can't help but have empathy for those people that have been like, literally almost it's almost like a brainwashing occurs where you convince yourself like oh no like oh you're overreacting it's not that bad and it's like no you've probably just repressed a lot of the things that have happened i've been told i've been told when i speak up for myself oh that's not the case you're overthinking because i you Mm -hmm. know for years there hasn't been latina and latinos in um the entertainment industry and i've said and i've I've interviewed certain people in the past or um, encountered people and I felt like a bit off. Yeah. Like, and I'm like, and I, and, and then I told somebody else and I'm going, well, who else? Were, what was the race the other people interviewed them? And they was like, oh, they were all white. And I'm like, okay. It, they don't, it, I don't think a lot of people realize how intimidating that is until yeah. you are very secure in who you are. Yeah. And not afraid to speak up because of that security you have in yourself until you get to that point. And this is why I give so much empathy to even women. I keep burping. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I had coffee and it's repeating on me. Um, I think that's why I have so much empathy for even the women that are like, oh, it's not that hard. It's like you're saying that because. And this is only because I've lived through it that I can say this. You've repressed a lot of the disrespect that has happened to you for the sake of people pleasing and for the sake of fitting into a male dominated business. I had to step away almost from my old self in a sense and take a look at how many times I was disrespected to pull myself out of that. And the way that it worked for me was imagining if that same thing had happened to my mom, my sister, somebody removed from me that I love. Mm -hmm. If they were talked to like that, how would I feel watching them be talked to like that? If this was, if this was my sister and she was working and somebody had disrespected her, made her feel uncomfortable or made her feel unsafe immediately Mm -hmm. I'm showing up ready to go to prison. Like immediately for somebody else. Right. But for myself, when I looked at situations I had been in Mm -hmm. and it really made me see even some of my friends in this industry differently because I looked at situations and I went, oh man, I was wild disrespectful and I let you get away with it because I told myself I had to. Because even in that moment, when I felt that twinge of disrespect, I was like, come on, don't be a baby. Mm. Don't be a baby. They're going to call you a baby. What are you, soft? And it's like, no, I'm a human who's conscious of disrespect. It's not about being a baby or being weak. Right. You disrespected me and you're uncomfortable because I called you out on it now. So now when people are called out on disrespect, they get uncomfortable because for years 
for years, especially women in this industry, mm -hmm. we have tolerated disrespect, all for the sake of being one of the guys. Oh, yeah. I've, I'm thinking back, to, I've dealt with a lot of male comics and I've encountered that, yeah. Stuff that they would say, like stuff that they would do. Like there was stuff that my some of my friends, my male comic friends, who I've since not really continued any relationship with, mm -hmm. have said to me in conversation that I'm like, if it was said to me by any guy at like a club, a dance club, mm -hmm. I would have slapped him in the face and left. Yeah. But I stayed there and laughed at it. I mm. laughed at them cutting me down because I was afraid to not be liked. That takes a lot out of you. When you start to really yeah, yeah, realize really that, realize, yeah. you go, oh, you have to forgive yourself. Right. You have to learn to forgive them Yeah. because holding on to that anger does, doesn't do you any service. So you have to yeah. learn to forgive them, not forget. Right. That's not to say they get off scot-free. Mm -hmm. Forgive, forgive themselves and forgive you and... Then you can really start the process of healing from that. But it takes it out of you and it changes the way that you view people, but it changes the conversations you have with yourself too. Yeah. Damn. That's been my TED Talk. Thank you so much. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. No, you that was that was really great. Gosh, you you've had me thinking a lot now. It's yeah. a lot. To do the work is a lot. And it's yeah. scary. And I fought it at first. And thank goodness I have a wonderful group of girlfriends and a wonderful and wonderful. Like just wonderful women in my life and right. wonderful men in my life mm -hmm. that I'm thankful for. The men that have shown me that they have done the work and they have evolved and they have healed and they've worked on themselves and they're no longer afraid of these bigger conversations. Right. Like that impresses me. And that when you surround yourself with a community of people that are all about growth, it makes it a lot easier to go through these things because right. growth and change. And I feel like a lot of female comics, they do need this right now. Yes. They do. Cause it's a hard, um, it's a hard, I've interviewed enough comics that I've, I'm already witnessed some of the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a hard business. It's hard, particularly for women. It's male dominated. Yeah. It's, you know, the way that women are treated in this industry, um, at times disgusts me. It is. It is yeah. Cause there's been, I've, I've as a podcaster, I've been dealing with it. Mm -hmm. So, because then people will fault you for defending yourself, and it's almost like yourself. I feel like the men do it because kind of like sometimes I feel like they kind of do it to show off more and, and to show their dominance. Well, that's the thing. Like yeah. when you think about it, and you have to really think about conditioning and how we're taught to be when we're growing up. Yeah. And when I take a step back from the whole, you know, construct of gender in the first place, and I look at just human beings mm -hmm. and how we're guided, we are conditioned. All of us are conditioned to be people pleasers in one way or the next. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, when it comes down, we finally get to the gender part of it all. We go, "This is what it means to be a man," and we tell little boys this: it means be louder than everybody else, mm -hmm. yell over people. Like it's never your fault. Boys will be boys. Teaches boys that it's never their fault. It's a dismissive right. thing. You have to work with, and this is where people don't understand. Like it's not. And this is hard to explain even to men. It's not that men are the issue. It's that the patriarchy has affected everybody, mm. but particularly men. Right. And what I've noticed about all people, this is in general for everybody, mm -hmm. 
when you attack a system mm -hmm. that is closely connected to how they identify who their self is, they cannot separate the system from the self. So if I attack patriarchy, it means I'm attacking you as a man. No, mm -hmm. I'm attacking the system that created the issues that you deal with and the issues that I deal with. It's the system I'm attacking, mm -hmm. not you as an individual human being, but because you identify so much with this system, even on a subconscious level, you can't separate yourself from it in order to see how it's negatively affected you. People, it's hard. It's the hardest thing to do. It's yeah. the hardest thing about doing the self-work is learning to separate yourself from the things that become triggers that have no business being identified with who you are. Right. Because they're not who you are. They're outside external factors. Yeah. But we get into a comfort zone with how we are. You have to like, that's why people go crazy for sports teams. Yep. People will argue over who's the best songwriter, singer, rapper. Oh, and don't forget about pol politics. Like, that's politics, a nightmare right now. Politics, like, everything. Yeah. Politics, religion, celebrities. We connect ourselves mm -hmm. to so many things. Yeah. I remember having a conversation with my husband. And <laughs> this is going to... It makes me laugh every time because we even laughed about it after. Right. Where, you know, he, he grew up and he's a big Michael Jordan fan and... You know, and a lot of people are big Michael Jordan right, fans. Right, right, he was right. like, Michael Jordan was part of my childhood. And I said, did he come to your birthday party? <laughs> was he uh, was he visiting you at church on he Sunday? Was... <laughs> no, you were a part of him making yep, money. You were just, a, yeah. And you may have been inspired by him, which is great. We find people inspiring all the time. Right. But stop connecting him yeah. to your childhood. Mm. Because, that, look, I'm a big Mariah Carey fan. Yeah. But when somebody comes in here and is like, yo, Mariah's crazy and I can't stand Mariah, all right. It doesn't affect right, me. Right, right, right. I can you, still you like her music, it. but I'm not connected to her right. in that sense where I got to flip a table because you don't like yeah. her. What do your tastes have to do with, with my liking her music, my being a fan? Right. That's where we get into the crazy part of yeah, the people, do the people that are extremists. Right, right. Because they can't let that go. Right. Learn the lesson. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on my show today. Could you please let my audience know where they can find you? Yes. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Gbrione, uh, TikTok at Gina Brion, and you can look for my tour dates and see if I'm coming to a city near you at GinaBrion.com. And I am Marcella Alonzo. You can follow me on Instagram at Marcella Sobella, YouTube Marcella Sobella, and Facebook Marcella Sobella. Thank you so much again, Gina, for coming on. Thank you for having me.